0: This podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is reinventing how you invest. Whether you want to place a trade on Facebook Messenger or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your terms. See what's new at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, July 30th, and on today's financial show, we're talking about one of the biggest financial industry rivalries there is, and I can guarantee at least one of these companies is likely to be found in your wallet. You've probably guessed it by now, we're talking Visa and MasterCard. So Today, we'll discuss their most recent quarterly performance, what sets them apart strategically, and the inevitable question, which company is the better buy? I'm your host, Shannon Jones. Uh, For our listeners who are not aware, I've recently stepped in to fill the shoes of our financials podcast host, Michael Douglas, who will be stepping over to cover our Thursday energy industry-focused podcast, so be looking out for him on Thursday. But today, I'm joined in the studio via Skype with financial experts, guru, and all-around good guy, Matt Frankel. Matt, glad to have you here today.
1: Always good to be here. The the hosts have changed, but I'm still here.
0: (laughs) Yes, Matt, the one key consistent factor across the Financials (laughs) podcast, but so glad to have you, Matt. Um, so, yeah, let's dive right in. Um, Visa and MasterCard, we get so many listener emails about this matchup. Um, seems like the articles written about Visa and MasterCard uh, are some of our most popular. Before we really dive into the two companies, though, Matt, let's actually take a step back and really kind of set the stage for investors who are new to the space or even just new investors in general. How do Visa and MasterCard actually make money?
1: Sure. Well, it's first of all, I only need to really run down one business model because both of these companies are, I'd say, ninety-five percent the same business. So, the one thing that, especially new investors to these companies, are kind of interested to find out, is that these are not the companies that actually issue credit cards. These are what are known as payment processors. There are there's generally four parties that are involved in a payments transaction. There's the issuing bank that actually Loans money to the customer through their credit card. This is if you have a Bank of America credit card in your wallet, a Capital One credit card. These are the issuing banks. Then you have the payment processor like Visa or Mastercard. Then you have the merchant, and then finally the merchant's bank. So there's it's called a four-party payment system. And Visa is just kind of, and Mastercard are just kind of the middlemen between the issuing banks that are lending the money and the merchants and the merchants' banks that are receiving the money. Um, there are, there's three main ways that Visa and MasterCard make their money. Of course, it's a little more complicated than we can get into in a relatively short podcast. But the main categories are service revenue, which is also known as swipe fees. Every time you swipe your credit card at a, a point-of-sale terminal, Visa or MasterCard or whoever's backing your card gets a small cut of whatever that revenue is. Um, back a long time ago when I actually helped run a business, this was in the neighborhood of 1%, a little more than 1% for Visa and MasterCard. So, they get a percentage of every transaction which is known as service revenue. They also get what's called uh, data processing revenue, which is a small fixed amount that they get for things like actually transferring the money from one place to another, providing settlement data to uh, a merchant. Things like that. And then there's also what's called international revenues, which are um, if your credit card charges you a foreign exchange fee or something to that effect. Anytime that a credit card is used kind of outside of its main area, you get a nice, an additional kind of international revenue stream that has to do with currency exchanges or convenience fees or those sort of things.
0: Yeah, great. So really, for companies like Visa and MasterCard, uh, volume is really where the money is at. The more transactions they process, the more revenue they make. And so the goal of which is to, of course, extend their network, especially internationally, um, which is key. And really, the more banks and partnerships that they're able to sign on board, the better as well. Uh, So with that, Matt, let's actually uh, turn our focus over to Visa. Visa is the largest payment processor in the world, and they recently reported earnings for their third quarter. Uh, they're on a slightly different fiscal calendar than MasterCard. But, Matt, what can you tell us about how Visa fared in this last quarter?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, just to give you an idea of how big Visa is, Visa has nearly 3.3 billion cards in circulation with its logo on it. That's a lot of cards. That's um, that's about one for every two people in the world. So. Visa is the big company here. I mean, they're both big, but relatively speaking. Uh, Visa grew its revenue by 15% year over year, uh, grew its earnings by 40% year over year. Most of that was due to tax reform, but like I said, there was some revenue growth. So it was pretty strong on both ends. Uh, uh, Tax reform and revenue growth combined to produce some pretty nice profit growth. Uh, Their payment volume, just to kind of name a couple statistics, was up 11% year over year. The number of cards, I mentioned it was $3.3 That grew by 4% year-over-year. And it was equal growth on credit card and debit card products, which is nice to see. Uh, Service revenue was up by 13%. Um, Data processing revenues were up by 19%. Internationally, they grew by 16%. We mentioned a little bit ago that international is a very big growth market for Visa and MasterCard. In a lot of places around the world, credit cards and card payments in general are not like they are in the U.S or if you go to any merchant, you can expect them to at least accept Visa and MasterCard. Um, in places like a lot of Asia, in Central America especially, there are a lot of places where Visa and MasterCard are not widespread accepted yet. China is a big market that Visa is just kind of tiptoeing into right now. Um, so, there's a lot of international room to grow. So, that's a key number that we want to watch every quarter. And 16% international growth is really impressive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a phenomenal quarter for Visa, um, as expected. And just going back to the international markets, just for um, our listeners who uh, want a little bit more on that. So, When you think about it, the U.S. is pretty saturated when it comes to the payment processors. So really, the opportunities are abroad. Um, And especially with the advancement of mobile connectivity, um, you see a huge opportunity for Visa and MasterCard to really dominate and gain even more market share. Um, Typically, these international retailers, many of them small businesses, um, just the outlay required to acquire some of these big, expensive credit card processing machines was so detrimental to the business, it really wasn't even worth it. So cash really... Is the dominant form of payment uh, internationally, especially as Matt mentioned in uh, Asian markets in particular. So, um, with mobile connectivity, you've got uh, now many more consumers abroad using their mobile phones for payment. That is a huge opportunity in itself. Some estimates are that the global mobile payments volume will increase from 75 billion this year to over 500 billion by 2020. I mean, that's roughly an compound annual growth rate. That's huge. Those are opportunities that Visa and and MasterCard are definitely going after.
1: Right. And um, there's a couple other big catalysts for Visa and MasterCard going forward. Um, I mean, the rise of e-commerce. E-commerce sales were up, I think, 16% in 2017 year-over-year. And e-commerce is an area where they don't have to compete against things like cash and checks. Um, There's also just kind of Cash is going away in just mom-and-pop merchants all around the country, and in international, some international markets. Um, when you think about how many uh, small merchants have the little square payment readers, um, you can't walk through a craft market in North America these days without everyone accepting credit cards. So, just the rise of e-commerce and just the ease with which merchants can accept card payments these days have really been big catalyst for these companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing I will say, one key area that I'll be watching um, is in particular China. So uh, one thing investors should know is that in China, there is uh, Alipay and Tencent's WeChat app. Um, These are basically created for consumers who didn't have credit and debit cards there, but they still wanted the consumers to be able to shop on their online marketplaces to still be able to participate in e-commerce. So basically, this eliminated the need for the middlemen, the traditional banking system that we have here in the US. Um, we've seen Visa executives and MasterCard executives talk about it a bit and think about ways to, to monitor that and really even more so uh, defend against that. But that'll be one area to watch because I think it'll be
1: interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um... China, like I said, is a pretty untapped market for credit cards. It was up only a couple of years ago where Visa and the others weren't allowed to operate in China. And as we know, that's the most populated area in the world. So it's if you think Visa, and Mastercard are saturated in terms of how big they can get, you, you might be surprised.
0: That's right. There's a huge growth opportunity there. So uh, let's talk about Visa's strategy. What really makes Visa unique? What areas are they going after apart from international?
1: Well, like I said, Visa and Mastercard are ninety five percent the same business. Having said that, uh, they're both they're emphasizing different areas. Visa's really emphasizing. Like safety and security in payments, both of them are aggressively investing in in fintech. With Visa having a kind of, you know, like I said, a bent a, a kind of orientation toward safety, um, security, especially with all these data breaches that have been going on recently. They want to make the case around the world that it's safe for people to use card payments. And um, they actually they have just have the advantage of scale at this point. They had a, they have a big head start over Mastercard in many markets. Just because they have, they're such a, a bigger company. As we'll see in a minute, there are about fifty percent more Visa cards in existence in the world than Mastercard cards. So that, in itself, is a big competitive advantage that gives them kind of a, a leg up when it comes to efficiency and things like that.
0: Yeah, and and really too, in order to stay competitive, um, you mentioned uh, how both companies are really. Um, working with and um, partnering alongside with fintech companies. And it was interesting in that Visa, they're really even kind of changing their, their overall focus. So, they're attempting to move away from just being known as a car network and really wanting to be seen as a technology platform solutions company. So uh, one thing that they actually have recently rolled out is something that they call FinTech in a box. So many of these smaller FinTech companies that are out there, um, they are basically attempting to onboard many of these smaller companies onto their network within about a month, which is pretty fast, and basically giving them the tools as a developer to easily integrate onto the Visa network. So I think that that is something that uh, should help them as an open source platform, if you will, uh, moving forward. Another thing that's been uh, really interesting is uh, their Visa Direct program, where basically they're attempting uh, to expedite uh, how quickly funds go from, if I'm going to pay for something at a merchant's uh, store, how quickly those funds get from me over to that merchant's bank and really try to expedite that entire process. So Visa Direct is uh, another way that they're doing that. Of course, they're well-positioned with the growth of mobile payments with Apple Pay, PayPal, Samsung Pay, Android Pay, Microsoft Wallet. Again, not too much different from MasterCard. Um, they also, too, acquired uh, Visa Europe back in 2016. Um, and this was really designed to help accelerate the transition from cash to electronic payments there in Europe. Uh, so far, the the you're just starting to see the fruits of that. But I think that that really opened up the door to really give Visa that that. Extra push forward ahead of MasterCard in that regard.
1: Yeah, definitely. Visa has done a great job of kind of transforming itself, as you said, from a just a payments company into a technology company. The open source is great. Um, they're like FinTech, they're just investing very heavily, as is MasterCard. Uh, the Visa checkout button that you'll see on a lot of merchants' websites is one good example that just kind of allows a one click checkout to kind of encourage customers to use their Visa card. Instead of some other companies, um, I mean, Mastercard has a competing feature now, but that was one big Visa innovation a few years ago. That is just a great example of how they're kind of trying to transform themselves into more of a technology company than a payments company.
0: Absolutely. So we'll dive into Mastercard in the second half of the show, but before we do, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms you carry and use every day. Now, all you have to do is enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa or message them on Facebook to stay on top of the markets. Learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com innovation. All right, Matt, so let's shift gears and talk about kind of the underdog here. I almost hate to use that term when it comes to MasterCard. (laughs) Uh, But just in terms of relative size and scope, MasterCard also just reported earnings. How did they fare in their second quarter?
1: Well, we mentioned that MasterCard is about 50 percent smaller than Visa in terms of the number of cards that exist with MasterCard logos on them. But the other way to think about that is that MasterCard has more room for growth and it looks like that's exactly what's happening. We mentioned Visa's numbers, and believe it or not, MasterCards were actually a little bit better. Um, They grew up revenue by 18% year-over-year because of that, combined with the effects of tax reform. Their earnings shot up by more than 50% year-over-year, which is pretty incredible for a company of that size. Uh, Payment volume was up by 14%. Just to kind of recap, Visa's was 11%. Um, The number of cards in existence shot up by 5% as opposed to Visa's 4%. And they matched Visa in international growth with a 16% growth rate, which is pretty impressive all by itself. Um, MasterCard's been doing a great job of making acquisitions that add value over the past couple years. Um, If anything, I would call MasterCard the more aggressive acquirer out of the two. Um, Acquisitions are definitely more of their strategy than Visa's. So MasterCard's really been taking advantage of its growth opportunity when it comes to things like e-commerce and just kind of the rise of card payments worldwide. And has it, it's really showing in the numbers this quarter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A phenomenal quarter for MasterCard as well. And just like you mentioned, Matt, MasterCard uh, is really strategically investing in technology and you are starting to see that pay off, but I think the the growth runway is much, much longer for them. Um, in particular, there are a couple of acquisitions that not only expanded MasterCard beyond its core, but also really kind of enhanced and will be enhancing its capabilities moving forward. Um, last year, uh, MasterCard actually bought out a Vocalink. And this was really to expand MasterCard beyond their traditional Kind of uh, traditional retail setup where you've got your person to merchant setup and really gave MasterCard an opportunity to dive into peer to peer and business to business payment networks. Um, Also, you've seen this with MasterCard integrating its network with Zale and PayPal's Venmo. Uh, Matter of fact, MasterCard is actually uh, behind the new Venmo consumer debit card, which will basically enable Venmo users to cash out their balances and then use those funds either online or in the store wherever MasterCard is accepted. Um, And MasterCard, I mean, there's so many firsts that they are going after and have done. Uh, MasterPass that was rolled out not too long ago was the first network to have a digital payment service across all devices and all channels. Um, You mentioned security and fraud for Visa. MasterCard is really stepping it up with that. Uh, They've been investing in uh, several different things, one of which was artificial intelligence. Um, there are also, too, uh, be, they'll be rolling out a biometric card, which will combine the chip technology with fingerprint scans and even iris scanning on a mobile phone um, to verify online purchases. So what you're seeing is I think MasterCard really invests heavily in technology, investing in its future, and I think it looks pretty bright. I also agree <clears throat> they are extremely aggressive when it comes to investing in the next big wave, into how to differentiate themselves from Visa. And um, I think, ultimately, MasterCard is really set to dominate that war on cash that's happening right now.
1: Yeah, MasterCard, like you mentioned, is really doing a good job with the peer-to-peer payments, especially Venmo um michael would be very proud of me i finally used venmo last week for the first time <laughs> Congratulations! Right, af- right after he leaves the show <laughs> um, he always gave me a hard time about that because he would bring it up in every discussion um but mastercard is doing a great job of integrating technologies like into technologies like that and just all together doing a really good job of kind of adding value to their to their product that differentiates them from visa um Another acquisition I was going to mention was is one called APT Applied Predictive Technologies that they acquired in 2015. That kind of just adds to their analyti- adds analytical capabilities to their products. Um, that really just kind of differentiated them and, and it, that's kind of the key word here is differentiation. They want to differentiate themselves from Visa, and they're doing it through all of these value adding acquisitions and investing heavily into uh, the newest financial technology.
0: Absolutely. So, Matt, uh, for you, we've talked about Visa, we've talked about MasterCard. Million dollar question here. Which one do you think right now is a better buy?
1: Well, at first glance, both of these look kind of expensive. For me, they're almost the same business. So it comes down to a question of valuation and growth. Um, Both stocks are up by over 700 percent over the past decade. Just to kind of give you an idea of how incredible this growth story has been, Visa has been up up forty percent over the past year alone. Mastercard almost sixty percent, and they trade at pretty high price to earnings multiples. Um, Both are right around thirty nine as as we're speaking. But given Mastercard is growing a little bit faster, I think, in my opinion, they're doing a little bit better job of investing in new technology. I would have to go with Mastercard. Um, and by the way, those price-to-earnings multiples don't let them scare you. If e-commerce keeps growing like this for another few years, if um, just the rise of card payments worldwide keeps going as predicted, those multiples could seem very cheap. But for now, I would have to go with Mastercard out of the two.
0: Yeah, it's hard to to bet against Visa, who's been you know the dominant market leader for so long. Um, And really, I don't think you can go wrong with investing in both in this regard. The war on cash is really still in its early innings right now. And so, you're going to see uh, growth continue to pick up for both of them. I agree with you, Matt. I think from the technology perspective, MasterCard, to me, um, is the better long-term growth opportunity. But uh, just like Buffett said at uh, his most recent Berkshire Hathaway meeting, um he is a Visa shareholder, but he said, looking back, I could have bought MasterCard as well, and I really should have. Um, that is really the feeling around here, too, at the full. When you ask analysts, uh, it's hard for them to choose one or the other just because they're such great, awesome companies. And I really don't think you could go wrong with either.
1: Yeah, like I said, I'd go, go with MasterCard, but it's really it's tough to overemphasize how close it is. Um, it, I, I would... You know, if if Mastercard was a ten, I'd call Visa a nine point nine in terms of attractiveness. So it's really, really close. Um, but like I said, Mastercard just—I like how they're growing. I like that they're focusing really on the technology aspect of it and international markets. But you won't go wrong with either one of them. So don't sell Visa to buy Mastercard or anything like that.
0: You heard it here first, fools. <laughs> Both are great. MasterCard certainly um, doing its fair share to close that gap between it and Visa. And really, that's it for this week's financial show. Don't forget this month, The Motley Fool turned 25. That's right. It's the Fool's 25th anniversary. Uh, To celebrate everything in the Podcast Swag Store is 25% off between now and the end of the month. So You've just got a few more days to snag some really great deals on your Podcast Swag finally, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for, or again, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on!